as the quality. Perfect. Yeah, it's all right. right, here we go. All right. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you Shots. like. What a stop! Shots for Ben! Oh! Jordan Ben! Yes! Jordan Henderson! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it, it's been... We're, be, we're bigger than that. That interview was just like the performance, flat. No. What, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he... I'll say something... We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up, when we finally turn it over, make a beeline. Hello, hello, it is the Friday Football Podcast. We are coming from various different places this afternoon. Dave McIntyre here in studio with Richie McCormick. Say hello, Richie. How are you, Richie? <laughs> and we have dialed up Nathan Murphy from somewhere in London, I take it. You're at the Olympic Stadium, is that right? You're wrong, Dave. You're very wrong. You sound like you're in a swimmer pool. You're in the Olympic swimming pool in London, Nathan. I'm in Guildford. Oh, oh right. sunny okay. Guildford. Which so is not in London. It's southwest London. It's 40 miles from London. You sound like you're saying that through gritted teeth. Well, I discovered that last night as I went in search of uh, some Irish supporters and thought I'd wander into Dublin. Or wander into London and have a have a drive in, as I drove and I drove and I drove and I was like, oh, it's actually quite a bit out from London, but uh, yeah, no, it's all right. Guildford's a, a nice town. Yeah, I was there pretty, on pretty up market. Um, Tuesday, so it's looking well. Sun is out. I feel left out now. Oh, you should come, Richie. You should come. You can come next time. Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't put it on your like list of places to see, most places to visit over. Any places. Time. Once it's out of the studio, I'm happy out now at this stage. <laughs> yeah, you see more of this place than any of the rest of us. Um, Nathan, I know you're there covering rugby, but you've been good enough to take our call to cover some Premier League this weekend. Uh, what a Premier League weekend it is. Safe to say, Richie, this Sunday is a super Sunday. Oh God, Dave, you did. You went there. You went there. <laughs> I went there straight in. Straight he trod in the cow pat of hype, did our Dave McIntyre. Yes, it is a Super Sunday because we've got two live commentary games. You're going to be at the second of those, which is at the Emirates. It's Arsenal versus Manchester United. And before that, it'll be uh, Stephen Hunt alongside Mark Scott at Goodison for a certain thing called the Merseyside Derby. The Merseyside Derby. Nathan seems to have been joined by a few friends there over at Guildford. Nathan, Merseyside Derby, let's talk about that because it's... um It just sees Liverpool and Everton take each other on with just a point separating them. And yet... Everton don't seem to be getting any criticism and Liverpool seem to be in the midst of a crisis. Well, I don't think that's a huge surprise because expectations at Liverpool are a hell of a lot higher than they are at Everton. Uh, Liverpool fans, rightly or wrongly, expect to qualify for the Champions League this season, whereas I think Everton supporters probably hoping at the very best to maybe contend. Uh, it was I thought Roberto Martinez's press conference was extremely interesting. Usually managers support each other and they all understand the way the managerial game works and you're up one minute, you're down the next. But he seemed to be really trying to pile the pressure on Brendan Rodgers ahead of this game with all the money that Liverpool have spent, even though Everton the Bucky's favourites, Martinez coming out saying that with all the money of Liverpool have spent, that they should be the favourites and that well, look, if results aren't going, pressure's going to come on you and Brendan just has to deal with that. So uh, heating up nicely ahead of it. Uh, I would have loved to have been there um, Sunday. Uh, I've been to a couple of Merseyside derbies in Goodison Park and it gets pretty intense. Yeah, it really does. I've been on a couple myself. Richie, the... <clears throat> 
The sounds emanating from Brendan Rodgers over the last few days, <clears throat> he's not overly convincing. They picked up a great point against Sion last night. A uh, great point <laughs> against Sion if you're Sion. Last night, that was just awful. It was, I hate, the worst thing I think about, from my point of view, the Liverpool situation at the moment, I'm not going to call it a crisis just yet, is that it gives credence and absolutely puts weight on what Harry Redknapp described the squad as being bang average. They are absolutely 100% bang average. They're so middling, they're a hula hoop. They were just, they're like looking at a void last night in that game against CN. There's just nothing there. And I know people point towards it being a largely second string side, but there are players in there that, like Adam Lalan is a full international with a good few caps to his name. Uh, they had uh, the likes of Sacco come in who performed well. They needed to, Coutinho to come off the bench to just add something to proceedings which just wasn't there and you've got a, a striker who's well, I think it's with not just Danny Ings but with a lot of players there there's a lot of promise but not a whole lot delivered so far from them which is their main issue I think Nathan we were in a similar situation at a couple of times this last season and it was a situation from which Liverpool emerged pretty well they changed the formation a little they put a decent run of games together and ultimately it petered out again at the end of the season when it came to trying to finish in the top four but they were so early in the season and one or two wins suddenly they're in the top four positions and they're only a few points off the top I always wonder why we get it, or we're so eager to race down the road of Brendan Rodgers is struggling to keep his job here yeah, I think this time, though, Dave, it's a little bit more than just us bad guys in the media turning on Brendan Rodgers. I was at Anfield a couple of weeks ago. A definite sense that the Liverpool supporters have turned. And the other thing is that you just have to look at the performances. They've been so flat. And there's no real star there, as Richie says, that you can look at and go, all right, if they can get this guy in form, he'll be able to turn it around. The one thing you would say in Rodgers' defence is, and you just mentioned it, Dave, they have shown over the last two seasons that when he does get it right, they can go on these runs of 10, 12 games, incredible runs, and put themselves back in contention. It's just at the moment, I think, that the supporters aren't behind the team, the but players... The, those are, gaps between those runs mentally. are getting longer as well, though, you know? It's the, it's those waits for these moments to kick in. Last season, it took until nearly November, December before things started clicking for them. This year, there's no real kind of pointer towards where it's going to click in last week against Villa yeah they did okay Daniel Sturridge put away two decent goals but defensively they were still shambolic yeah they have been struggling struggling at the back I think Dayan Lovren one week's analysis will tell us that he's improved and that he's getting a lovely, little bit of protection from the uh, defensive midfield players at Liverpool then the next week he throws in a clanger and suddenly Dayan Lovren is back in crisis it just seems to me that that spark Nathan that they've had and they've relied upon if it isn't provided right now by Philippe Coutinho there is absolutely nobody else in that squad to do it. They don't seem to have a leader in the creative side of things. You can look at the likes of James Milner, for example, and he's obviously a solid pro and all of that. Mm. But where is the spark coming from? It is it Daniel Sturge if he stays fit? He showed yeah. a great finish last weekend against Villa. Yeah, and it, it could come from it could come from a number of players, but it needs to happen quickly for Brendan Rodgers' sake. Liverpool are in a position where, for the, for the foreseeable future, with the way the club is run and with the resources the club have, they're going to be buying guys for twenty million, twenty five million pounds, and just hoping against hope that one of them becomes the next Luis Suarez or Fernando Torres and can drag everybody up with them. But you look at Benteke, you look at Ings, you look at Sturridge with his injury problems. Maybe Sturridge could be that guy. But you, you wouldn't put any money on Daniel Sturridge playing 30 league games this season. And you just compare them to, to two years ago with Suarez, Sterling and Gerrard all having left the club 
there's there's no X factor with Liverpool. There's no opposition team that looks at that Liverpool side and thinks we can't get at these guys. And you add that to the fact that so many of their players have proven time and time again that they are mentally weak. It's hard to look at a team in the Premier League that have so many players that have proven themselves to be mentally weak from Mignolet at the back going all the way to last Christmas when he admitted more or less he had the yips to Lovren who just takes one mistake and he completely collapses Adam Lallana a player who when he came to the club didn't even want to play in his first match against Southampton because he thought it would be a little bit strange playing against his old team and even Daniel Sturridge we see in Steven Gerrard's book that basically at the start of the great season for Liverpool two years ago for the match against Manchester United that Sturridge had a little bit of a knock, as he always seems to have. And Gerard literally had to twist his arm. I say literally, not literally. Maybe he did literally twist his arm. <laughs> but Gerard, the second I said literally, I was regretting it. You're there. exacerbating uh, things, Stephen. Well, I don't think it was quite a Jamie Redknapp, literally. I do have a picture in my mind of him twisting the arm of Daniel Sturridge <laughs> and looking but, into the depths of his eyes and saying, Daniel, you're playing today. And lo, that's <laughs> how his dance celebration was made. Well, he was scoring yeah. goals long before that. But no, I, 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 I take your point, absolutely, that they're a little short on character which is exactly what Everton showed during the week and they're up against an Everton side that have only lost uh, once all season they have won three of their last four and the most recent of which was this spectacular victory at the Hawthorns on Monday night it shows an Everton side they don't really know when they're beaten and they must be their record against Liverpool is deplorable particularly at Goodison Park but they must be relishing this game on Sunday night and they must really think they have a great chance you would assume so. For some reason, I'm just one of these people that's never convinced by Everton. I just don't trust them. I still think that Lukaku and Barkley are so inconsistent that you just don't know when it's going to happen for them. But this is such a good opportunity for them to really, really just to hammer Liverpool while they're down. Get rid of Rodgers. Take a lead ahead of them in the league. And like Liverpool's fixtures over the next while away from home and at the start of the season have just been a nightmare. They go to Spurs, then they go to Chelsea, then they go to Manchester City. So they're in a run of really difficult fixtures. And if Everton are going to establish themselves as, I still can't see them finishing top four, but as a team to finish above Liverpool and potentially above Spurs and finish fifth or sixth, this is the game they got to go and win. Because I, I do still think that, much like Liverpool, that maybe confidence amongst the Everton supporters is a bit fragile, that they're still not fully convinced by Roberto Martinez, in much the same way Liverpool supporters are about Brendan Rodgers, that there is that touch of him talking a little bit too much when times are good and when things aren't going well, that it's not to me here, boss. It's, you know, the players just aren't performing. So it, it's a huge, it's a huge game. Not for maybe the reasons that it sometimes is in, in terms of challenging for things, but... For for Rogers and for Martinez, it, it could be a, a pretty defining day. Yeah, their next two games after the Merseyside derby: Manchester United at home, Everton away, <clears throat> and then they host Norwich at home. And obviously, Norwich are going pretty well themselves. They look confident every time they take to the field. That's the first of our two Premier League games on Sunday afternoon on the ball. We're on the air from twelve, and then that's a half one kickoff at Goodison Park. Mark Scott is joined by Stephen Hunt. I'll be at the Emirates Stadium with Kenny Cunningham. Arsenal taking on Manchester United and. The games midweek, Richie, have put a different slant on this United-Arsenal game because I was at the Emirates on Tuesday night as well. They were awful. Yeah. Just awful. And Alexis Sanchez aside, they look to be aside completely devoid of character. No steel, no nastiness, no backbone. Absolutely fragile. Like, brit- like absolutely brittle, they, uh, that Arsenal side. There's nothing there that says someone's going to grasp... and. It's take a fairly this game, but take this squad by the score for the next. I hate saying it. It seems so. It seems <laughs> such a backwards way of looking at a game. But ultimately, you do need somebody, or perhaps if you're lucky enough, more than one, 
who can take the game by the scruff of the neck, who can take the players almost by the scruff of the neck and go, listen, this is what needs to be done to get these sides beaten. You can't leave yourself as wide open at home to a side like Olympiacos. Like, you look at that Olympiacos side, which was just... It almost read like a who was of Premier League footballers with like Brown and Day up there and uh, the lad Kasami who was at Fulham a couple of years ago. That isn't a side that, that... Yeah, like Cambiasso to a degree you can go, yeah, fine, fair enough. He had a good season with Leicester last year. He's proven his pedigree in Europe before with Inter. But to go to Arsenal, a Premier League ground and score three and do it without much trouble, to be quite honest as well, is... It reflects very badly on the way Wenger has that side set up. It reflects very badly on Arsenal as a football club, the way they bought in the last 10 years. And this whole issue that has blown up with Wenger, not wanting to discuss the issue of swapping Peter Cech and David Ospina and claiming that they're both equals, he's lucky that he has two world-class goalkeepers, etc., 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 is nonsense. Uh, I think Cech has almost proven himself not to be the purchase everybody presumed he might be. And having him being their only purchase in the summer has bitten them in the arse royally so far this season. Nathan, the Petr Cech, David Ospina situation is an odd one, isn't it? Because it could have been easily Petr Cech who was in that position and may would make that mistake. He threw a couple of clangers in, in the opening day of the season against West Ham, for example. So he's not infallible. It's just the the optics of it. It it, it wasn't Cech that made the mistake. It yeah. was Ospina, and Cech was watching it from the bench. Yeah, I, I'm kind of of the same opinion as you. That's. Petr Cech didn't start the season pretty well. He could easily have made that mistake. But even before the match. It was all over Twitter, all the journalists, all the British journalists, all the London-based journalists asking why Ospina is starting. What is Wenger doing? Remember, Arsenal had lost their opening game, so they can't really afford to be resting people. I think, in a way, maybe it suits Wenger that the issue is the goalkeeper and not further up the pitch. They did concede three goals on Tuesday night. And I heard John Giles last night having a right old go at Mesut Ozil, which... I think is slightly unfair on Ozil because you can't have a player like Mesut Ozil. You can't actually have a luxury player in your team. Lots of lots of players, lots of teams do. Not everyone has to track back. Not everyone has to work hard. But it's the players around them. Like I cannot understand how they persist with playing Santi Cazorla in big matches in the middle of midfield as a defensive That's midfielder. Lunacy, yeah. He just is not that player. And there's too many guys just floating on by. So you can expect it from Ozil. He's always been that way. But Aaron Ramsey has become incredibly inconsistent over the last last year or so. And like the centre-back partnership, there's times when Lauren Koscielny looks like the best centre-back in the league. But like some of those Liverpool players we're talking about, there constantly seems to be a mistake in him. And when it goes wrong for Arsenal, again, much like Liverpool, when it goes wrong, it goes horribly wrong for them that it's, they're just in a permanent state of being on the verge of crisis. Like how many times have we had this bloody conversation? Uh, look, it's, it is such a regular conversation with Arsenal and it, it almost annoys me that the content of the conversation is virtually identical every time it rears its head because we end up speaking about the exact same issues. The only one that he apparently had solved over the last two or three years was that he didn't have a goalkeeper he could believe in. And yet, when he went out and bought one, he didn't bother playing them. And what was the biggest game of Arsenal's season so far? They absolutely had to win on Tuesday evening. They would no alternative but to take the three points and they leave the best goalkeeper in their squad 
on the bench. The goals they, they concede, it was like watching the Monaco first leg in the last 16 tie last season all over again. Whenever they scored, there's nobody in the team that can just get them together and say whatever it takes for the next five minutes, whether you have to break an opponent's leg, whether you have to stick the ball in row Z, I'm not obviously condoning that kind of behaviour. <laughs> sounds but, like a Dave. But you need somebody that is able to settle the team when they're most vulnerable, which is after they've just scored. Instead, you see Alexis Sanchez after he gets the second equaliser grabbing the ball from the back of the net sprinting back to the centre circle and suddenly everybody loses their calm and loses their control yeah. and before you know it it's 3-2 and that's exactly what we saw when Berbatov got the goal against Arsenal from Monaco last season and we've seen it time and time again over the last three or four years and yet Arsene Wenger seems to be able to believe that he can fend off these questions he threatened to pull his press conference off early yesterday because he was tired of being asked about the Petr Cech situation these press conferences have become just a sham I don't know how much substance there was to them to begin with but constantly it's I'm going to pitch up here I'm going to give the injury update I'm going to praise the opposition manager I'm going to say how tough a game we have in prospect here no matter the fact that the team we're facing tomorrow got beaten 6-7-0 in the last three games but as soon as they're questioned it's I don't have to answer these questions. You don't do the same job as me. What job do you do? What sport did you grow up playing? It's like the one with somebody, Mourinho, pointing out, oh, did you play badminton as a kid? Because you obviously don't know what the man's game of football is about. And Wenger, uh, in his pre-match press conference before the game with United, saying that, oh, well, like you, you, you do a different job to me. Uh, I don't ask you how you do your job, um, the decisions that you make. So what right have you to come in here and question me? And it's just nuts, absolutely nuts. Do you want to come in yeah, there, Nathan? I think what's so frustrating about watching Arsenal the last night, and obviously there's so much conversation, particularly over here in England at the moment and in the British media about the failures in the Champions League, is that Arsenal, of all the English clubs, should be best suited to the Champions League because it's played at a slightly slower, slightly slower pace. It's more about possession football. And Arsenal have always been such a good side when they have the ball. But they just seem to lose their minds. As you said, Like they just can't slow a game down. They get sucked into this trying to just go for it constantly instead of just being mature footballers and realize, like these guys are successful international footballers mm. and there's not a huge difference in the way football is played at international level and Champions League level. It is slower than it is in the Premier League. So these guys who can go and play for... Play for... <sighs> whoever whichever international side they're at like they can it, it, it's it just doesn't make any sense and it it, it it i think there's a complete lack of discipline it's game management on the pitch it's a lack of yeah. game management that they have for they never seem to have a level, sense of awareness of where the game is the context of the game in its current situation for example when they got it back to 1-1 the other night there's again immediately this sense of urgency around the stadium and amongst the players and maybe it's emanating from the crowd in some ways is we have to get the second goal almost straight away despite the fact there was five minutes to go before the halftime whistle they'd all night to get the second goal and the potential winning goal and yet they go straight after the second goal after getting the first and they end up 2-1 down at halftime inexplicably so the opposite happened to Manchester United on Wednesday night because they went to goal down and they didn't seem to panic at all in fact the first half there is impressive as I've seen it for quite some time they created three or four guilt edge chances none of which were taken and then the penalty came their way they'll be more worried by the second half Richie in which they just retreated deeper and deeper and ultimately were left having hanging on for dear life for that victory over Wolfsburg it's a weird uh, I suppose uh, consequence of having some kind of confidence about your side that you know Asher we're leading ah we can probably see this lot out and take the three points here they do look like a very decent side that can win 
matches against a certain calibre of opposition whether they've got it against top sides or not I don't know and I'm not sure that this Arsenal game unfortunately and apologies to any Arsenal fans listening is going to be a measure of whether United can do it against a top side or not but United are one of those sides that are grinding out results where last year they failed to and you can work yourself into a position in this league especially with the likes of Chelsea faltering especially with the supporting cast of your Liverpools and your Tottenham's you know, not being so great this year again that you can work yourself into being top of this league and having a very comfortable lead heading towards Christmas without ever really clicking into gear and then once you do away you go into March and April and you could possibly have won the league fairly early and United have the look of a side that can do that this year they have attacking players I don't think the Martial thing I don't think anybody expected that for him yeah. to come in and settle the way he has. I think even his level of involvement, I don't think anybody expected him to be leading the line for Manchester United. Coming off the bench maybe once or twice here and there, work him in slowly. The impact has been phenomenal. And it's been a massive boon to them. And to be fair, it's dug them out of a couple of holes in recent weeks too. Yeah, Nathan, on the Martial situation, the only re- decent side that he has faced, uh, they've been in Europe really. The PSV Eindhoven game where no- nobody really in the second half for United impressed. And then Wolfsburg on Wednesday night. Wolfsburg are not a bad side. They've finished second in the Bundesliga last season. They're a decent team. But have you been taken aback by how good he's been? Even on Wednesday night, the chance he created for Rooney, just sees the defender, fixes him almost like a rugby match and just goes past him. He's doing that four or five times in a game where he just takes one touch and just slides past defenders. It's so impressive and it's such a level of confidence for a 19-year-old thrown into the big leagues and one of the biggest pressure cookers there is in European football. Yeah, I, I, like, I think you're being a bit harsh there on the teams he's played against. He scored against Liverpool and he scored against Southampton, who are two decent Premier League teams. But he just seems to have it all. Like The ball sticks to him. How mm. many times we've seen him already where he's down by the touchline and there's two defenders around him. He's so big and strong and he gets the arms out and he's not afraid to get physical with them. And he holds the ball up and he takes the right decision or he draws the foul from them. He, he There's been a couple of times where, particularly his link-up play with Mata, I think when that progresses over the next few months and they really get on the same wavelength, that is going to reap a lot of goals for United because there's been so many times where he makes he makes one run and Matt is expecting him to make the other run, but he is always making runs inside the area. He just looks like such a typical Manchester United forward in the mould of a Van Nistelrooy or a Van mm. Persie in that he can... He can come deep, he can get involved, but also he's ready to hang on the defender's shoulders. And okay, they play a very different style to years ago where they use bomb balls in from the wing constantly. So maybe he needs to be slightly different and he needs to be a bit more involved than those two Dutch players I was talking about. But he, as it stands, just looks to be so impressive. I would just say as well, I I, I think I'd kind of disagree with Richie on United and the better teams. I think they're set up to actually be better against the better opposition that unlike most of the English teams they are so good now in midfield at holding the ball which means that probably against some of the lesser teams and the way the Premier League is at the moment and that nobody seems to actually want the ball at the moment most of the lesser teams are want to play on the counter-attack uh, and maybe that might work against United but I think against the top teams in the Champions League and as we saw in the game against Liverpool that because they'll have Schweinsteiger and Carrick in the middle of midfield, and it's going to give them well. something, and Schneiderlin as well, it's going to give them something that all the other teams don't have. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if United are the team in the Champions League who go furthest amongst the English clubs. They play a very European style of football now. It's like it's completely out of place in the Premier League right now, which is why I think neutrals are non-Manchester United supporters look at it and go, oh, it's bloody boring 
to watch because it's just in such stark contrast to the way everyone else plays. Like it's hard to think of too many teams in the Premier League who are comfortable on the ball, who want you know, who want fifty five, sixty percent of the possession because most of the teams they get their goals from the ten seconds when when they win the ball back and just fly up the pitch on the counterattack. So it, it's probably not going to be overly pretty and there'll be times over the course of the season where United may struggle to get some of the results against some of the lesser teams, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if they're in a Champions League final towards the end of this season. Yeah, I would agree with some of that. I do think they've got issues in midfield in that Bastian Schweinsteiger doesn't have more than 60 good minutes in him and he's probably best coming off the bench when they do need an element of control. They don't seem to have a choice if Carrick's not fit. Now, he might be back this weekend. And also, I think Chris Smalling is, has his hands full at the back with Daly Blind alongside him because he seems to have to cover for two central defenders. How Blind has ever made it as a defender is beyond me. He's so one pace gorgeous left foot and he's got a good footballing brain but he is outpaced by even the slowest of strikers in the Premier League and that's going to come back to haunt them as well particularly if they put Arsenal put either Alexis Sanchez or Theo Walcott on on Blind at the weekend I think that that's an accident waiting to happen it's actually a fascinating game kicks off at 4 o'clock myself and Kenny Cunningham will be live from the Emirates Stadium the other game we want to have a look at before we leave you Nathan is the evening game on Saturday you're going to at Stamford Bridge Chelsea Southampton Jose Marino has admitted this week that it's the worst period of his managerial career they're in 14th position in the table and Southampton themselves who created one or two shocks in the Premier League over the last year and a half they will really think they can go to Stamford Bridge and take something they'll have seen what Swansea have already done there this season and really fancy themselves yeah Southampton they've drawn all three of their away games in the league so far I, I was actually I commentated on this game last season and Shane Long was bloody brilliant that day it was the day afterwards if you remember I was interviewing him afterwards and John Terry came up and was complimenting Shane Long because he ran him ragged uh, with no Diego Costa, it, it's I, like last week on the podcast, was having Adrian, we're talking about Chelsea, and they're in that sort of zone where even if they win a game, you sort of feel that a bad result is still just around the corner and that they're going to be plunged or something is going to happen and there's going to be some sort of controversy just dogging them. Well, that's pretty much what has happened this week as well. When throughout you look the at, season. When you look yeah. at that defeat to Porto during the week and even still now, the Carnero thing rumbles on because she says she wasn't asked to provide evidence in the case against Mourinho and Greg Dyke, the FA chief, is saying that what has happened and what Mourinho did was kind of despicable. So this thing is going to keep bubbling under for them for the next few weeks and until they pick up a bit of form, I don't think people are going to forget about it and they're going to keep pestering Mourinho about this. They have a major problem in that they're too many of their players simply are not playing well I mean the yeah. reason they're losing games is obvious because they have got so many players that are playing below standard in any other Premier League team Nathan Cesc Fabregas would have been watching the last month from the bench because he's a passenger he's a shadow of the player he was this time last season when he was already head- heading towards double figures in terms of assists he was dominating the game alongside Matic now Nemanja Matic has actually been made look like a pretty average player because he has to cover so much ground with Cesc Fabregas on the pitch beside him yeah, and nobody has been able to really put their finger on it yet, and even Mourinho has said it, as to why so many of the players have dipped at the exact same time. The only sort of, I guess, st- statistical thing you could look at is that so many of these players played too many games last season. It was something Mourinho prided himself on, of having that ba- base of A players who all played over 30 games in the league last season. They were never substituted. And maybe it just took that little bit too much out of them that didn't he give them a decent holiday though this this summer or am I imagining he, that no, well he said he gave them an extra 10 days and that yeah. would be a reason behind maybe they might take a little longer to come to the boil but we're well past that at this stage yeah it's well it's almost 
got to a stage where they just can't get out of this rut now. It's become more less about the physical side of it and more about the mental side of it. And there's so much pressure on them every time they go out. It's not helped by the manager. And I, I, I can't see Mourinho finishing the season as Chelsea manager. It's very difficult not to see this just escalating and escalating and eventually will come to the stage where either Mourinho has had enough or Abramovich has had enough. But like, there's also the question about, I know they signed Pedro towards the end of the transfer window. Do players do players become a little bit complacent when there isn't the constant pressure on your position when you're almost assured of your spot in in the starting starting eleven every week? I know it can be a good thing that, but maybe from a Chelsea point of view, that like who's putting pressure on Fabregas? As you said, you know most other teams he'd be dropped by now, but mm. there's just nobody there to come in and replace him, and he knows that. Well, I think we'll um, watch that one. <laughs> Keep a very close eye on that one. You're going to be at that game reporting for us on Saturday evening. The early game is Crystal Palace, West Bromwich Albion at 12.45. And then there are five games which kick off at 3 o'clock. We'll have reporters at all the grounds and off the ball tomorrow and we'll bring you every goal. We'll also have Dion Fanning and Kevin Kilban talking through the afternoon's talking points over the course of the day as well. So it's something to really look forward to. But of course it is Super Sunday that we're going to be keeping our eyes on on Sunday because we've both those games live. The Merseyside Derby and Arsenal Manchester United Grand Slam Sunday tomorrow night Stop Sky term. Would you God Well look been... Occasionally These sort of Sundays Can actually Appropriately be described As thus Well we shall see Dave And there's only one way this On national radio You can find out This is one of them Nathan thanks for making the time On your busy rugby filled day oh, To chat yes. to us It's been a pleasure To talk some football Yes <laughs> Just to give you A little bit of an escape From the, uh, the egg chasing fraternity And uh, Richie Thanks a million Dave thank you We'll uh, talk to you next Friday afternoon, or will we, in fact? We may put one together because it is International Weekend next week, but we'll, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon regardless. Thanks a million. Like, try.